0: howdy folks and welcome to redneck on green i am your host for just today's show jack rabbit Um, i am happy to have you here i am guest hosting for today because our special guest for today's session is the uh the amazing and talented mr david cobb who i'm sure you're quite familiar with and if not you're going to get familiar with them today so uh, thanks for joining and, uh, yeah, let's, let's, uh, just get kind of right into it. Uh, I'm really very happy to, um, bring on today's guest, uh, the interviewee, uh, Mr. David Cobb, former, uh, green party candidate for president, uh, founder of move to amend and, and uh, many other things, that uh, hopefully we can get into and, uh, dear friends. So, uh, David, uh, welcome to your show.
1: <laughs> well, Jack, for those of you who are joining, who read the Substack, you you know that we're going to flip the script today, uh, which is uh, Jack actually was pushing me in one of our production meetings to say, what the hell, David, what do you think we should do? Uh, and I I started to break it down and, and he challenged me. He said, well, let's have this conversation on air. So we thought it would be fun if Jack actually interviewed me. So I literally am a guest on the redneck, but I'm a guest on Redneck Gone Green.
0: Indeed. So um, so I want to just get right into it, David. So, um, you know, what what we're kind of wanting to talk about today is we want to talk about what is your plan for the future, right? We've we've clearly we're in a a, a period of transition. The empire is collapsing. You know, the world is in, not quite in chaos, but it seems pretty much on the edge of it. And um, you know, I, I I mean, I can speak for myself when I say that, you know, I feel like this country is on the verge of a civil war if, depending upon what happens with the election, how the elections handle, we are on the verge of potentially World War III, starting in the Middle East as the, you know, Houthis in Yemen are getting bombed by the uh, United States and the UK. It's a pretty crazy time, right? And you know, it's not an accident. This didn't happen. A meteor didn't fall from the sky and make this happen, right? I mean, we have our analysis for why this is the case. I know that you do. And I also know that you have a a way of approaching things that you hope will kind of like address that and deal with that. And so I would love it if you could kind of like, kind of bring us into like, what you see the uh, the harms that are happening to us and what you your plan is for how we can Can address
1: this well thank you jack and i appreciate the the candor and the courage of the question right the reality is that we are in systems collapse it's early stage systems collapse but it is systemic right and there is a global ecological collapse it's not coming it's here and getting worse uh there is we have we have we are out of late stage capitalism because we're in end stage capitalism because the 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 we are commodifying mother earth faster than she can replenish herself and we have an economic system that extracts the surplus value of the labor of the worker in order to make everything work and we're moving into laborless production with automation robotics artificial intelligence. So we're in a revolutionary time, whether I like it or not, whether Donald Trump or Warren Buffett likes it or not, the entire political economy is being restructured. But I don't celebrate that because what's coming next is fascism, Uh, unadulterated fascism, the velvet glove is off the iron fist because neoliberalism as an economic system is failing, capitalism is failing. So Like, oh my God, that's chaos and the nation state is collapsing. But Jack, I really do have a plan and it goes like this. I've spent my entire adult life on the metaphorical Titanic, understanding and knowing with certainty, oh my God, we're gonna hit an iceberg if we don't change. so. Uh, unfortunately i and you and listeners and viewers of redneck gone green we're all in steering class right we're we're at the very bottom of the titanic and we've we've talked amongst ourselves we've we've shouted up to the to the powers that be watch out watch out we've i've I've
0: often thought that you look a lot like leo dicaprio i just thank you so people know yeah
1: jack rabbit you know just how to talk to me son (laughs) uh uh although uh yeah uh, I, I think I'll go with a younger Yule Brenner maybe, but uh, uh, at any rate, uh, here's the thing. I think now we have to con- come to the conclusion that we've already hit the the iceberg, right? But it's not too late to, to get to lifeboats and to captain those lifeboats uh, like pirates uh, rather than the, her royal majesty, right? And by that, I mean, Jack... Look, you and I met during Occupy and I know that you were a leader or a chief coordinator of the inter-Occupy movement and I saw the coordination that you did and so forth. I also know that folks from Occupy, after that horrific Superstorm Sandy hit, like how Occupy Sandy came together, uh, lifeboats actually can save lives. Uh, And I think that there is a plan at the local level to build as many lifeboats as we can, to save as many people as we can, and then to make sure that those lifeboats are pirate ships. Uh, We are taking care of each other. And that's a hat tip to our flag means death. So uh,
0: so real quick, before we get into that really very funny show, I do want to just for people who aren't familiar with it, Occupy Sandy, right? So David just mentioned Occupy Sandy, which was uh, the response by people who met in the Occupy Wall Street time, and uh, basically uh, responded on their own in a grassroots way to uh, the Hurricane Sandy that hit uh, New York City in 2012. Right, and so it was. Uh, it was. I was part of it. It was an amazing experience. Uh, what we saw was. You know just like tens and hundreds of people coming together volunteering donating and doing work to be able to provide immediate disaster re- re- responses to the people in the affected areas specifically rockaway but in, in other areas as well and it was wonderful amazing to see the response that came like regular people just coming together i actually remember now that we're talking about it, a friend of mine actually drove up from Philadelphia with with supplies that they had raised and did a did a run out to the, uh, to the um to the shore to be able to help people out. Right. And the reason that I, uh, I wanted to just kind of touch on that, because, you know, I mean, you just brought it up. Some people might not be familiar with it. Um, but it, well, the reason that I want to bring it up is because for me, I what I watched was simply I mean, it was transcendent uh, to be able to see this incredible event like this disaster happen and a response from regular people, not the government, no institutions, it was was not an institutional response, right? It was just a, it was a grassroots, spontaneous coming together of people. And I saw the power in that. It reminded me of the power of Occupy Wall Street, which was also this kind of spontaneous rising up of people who just came together in space and did amazing things. And so, what I want from you, David, is to kind of like help us to understand what what your vision is to be able to kind of like not necessarily institutionalize that but really harness that energy that 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 desire that we have to work together and come together for a greater vision to be able to help each other out like what what is it that you are proposing and that you're seeing that can allow us to just kind of take advantage of that natural instinct we have to be to work together and to to be kind to each other?
1: Well, th- thank you, Jack. And uh, I think it's worth pointing out that what you just described—that that natural instinct that human ha- humans have to collaborate and work together—I want to lift up Riane Eisler and a phenomenal book uh, called *The Chalice and the Blade*. Uh, that was a seminal work for me as a man who is coming to understand feminism, and that is that uh, Rianne Eisler makes a very compelling argument, which which I think is correct. Uh, that she argues that for over 90% of the time that human beings have existed, we actually were cooperators and collaborators, that we would not have even survived if we were hyper individualistic. Uh, As the hairless apes that we were, we would have never survived individually. We can only survive and thrive uh, in community. The problem is that uh, to do that well, it takes a power with, right? And that what what Occupy Sandy showed, what every mutual aid shows, and again, whether it's a result of natural disasters like fire or floods or, or the pandemic, like every time there's been a crisis, human beings come together and help each other. That's solidarity, right? At the very core, that's what solidarity means. And it always happens whenever there's intense crisis. The thing is, it can work best in small, local, decentralized kind of experiences. That's why I'm saying lifeboats, wherever you live, work, play and pray, what I'm laying out can really only be done at the local level. But if all we do is make a little lifeboat, right, and the rest of the world burns, we'll all burn together. But if we all build lifeboats and then share best practices and confederate together, we can recreate supply chains. We can recreate value chains. We can literally begin to deconstruct this collapsing empire and recreate the world that all of us experienced before the enclosure movement, before capitalism and mercantilism. I guess the point I'm making is I have a vision that is a completely new system. And I can describe that vision with clarity and inspiration. I can't give you A through Z how to get there, but I can say this is the direction to get here and here's steps A, B, C, and D. And as we go and through steps A, B, C, and D, by the time we hit steps C and D, then I have confidence and faith that steps f g and e will become more and more apparent right so this is like i want to i want to make it clear like let's talk about what i think can be done locally but this is steps a b c and d to create the world that we want to live in
0: okay and so like just to be clear so what you're saying is that you have these local steps but you uh, help me if i'm wrong here but you have these local steps that you hope will kind of be more Broadly picked up and have more of a, a broader influence as opposed to just a local influence. Is that, is that what you're that's saying? That's
1: 100 correct. And Jack, for example, you'll remember Michelle Edelman McCormick of Cooperation Vermont was on this program. I She's work great. with her, I work with her day in and day out, sharing best practices. You may remember that Kamal Franklin from Community Movement Builders was on to talk about Stop Cop City. I taught I work with Kamal Franklin day in and day out on. these programs that I'm about to describe. Emily Kawano of the U.S. Solidarity Economy Network and Wellspring Cooperative. The point is, I'm bringing together people to have conversations on Redneck Gone Green, who are all part of an experiment and sharing constantly of best practices. We're not dogmatic, we're not sectarian, but we have a shared set of principles and values and a shared strategic orientation about what is to be done, but all of us agree it has to be done in our own community, wherever we live, work, play, and pray. That's the node, and those nodes should be sharing best practices with one another, and then we link them in in a decentralized confederation.
0: Okay, so I get that, and that's that's cool to know. I think that's good, and that kind of begs the question about what that coordination looks like, um, and I think that you know part of know we can kind of go back to just uh last week's episode where we spoke to terry boracius about uh sortition which is a for those of you who may not have uh caught that one it's about a different way of approaching democracy by lottery as opposed to elections um so in that sense you know we're talking about like well how can different groups like different localities work together right over like in a way that's more uh you know egalitarian more sustainable more you know in in line with the values that we espouse okay um i think that what i also want to hear from you though is let's talk like about the nuts a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of your plan right so we've so mm-hmm. far you know we've spoken for about 15 minutes and i feel like we've been you know kind of like kind of abstract we're, we're looking at it from a very uh you know a five thousand feet kind of kind of view and i think that's great to get started with but i definitely you know, want to hear, I, I feel like it's a great idea for us to be talking about more specifics, like just really quickly, I just want to point out that, you know, in the, you know, on the show, we've talked about uh, cooperative um, community banking, um, land trust, we've talked about, um, uh, we've talked about uh, budgeting, um, community budgeting, right? And so so I know that we have a, a bunch of tools in our toolbox, right? So let's, can, can we talk, can we hear from you about that, uh, David?
1: So look, yes, and what I would say is these are practices that are happening now, and in every community there is one or two things that are working really well. I want you to imagine now a community that doesn't yet exist, uh, but imagine a community that's doing all of those things together at once, right? that's where you would have truly nonviolent revolution happening. And that would be a place where you have community land trusts that have decommodified enough land, uh, taken it off of the, the speculative market and said, this land, we are providing housing for people as a human right. And we are producing food using community supported agriculture and agroecology principles to distribute that food based on need, uh, not commodity. Then we incubate worker owned cooperatives where the business and commerce is happening, where we are producing goods and services that people actually need to meet their needs in a democratic way. Nobody's getting rich, but everybody is doing well in a co-op then we uh, incorporate art and culture and political education into all of it, right? What I'm getting at again is if we had a community where all of that was happening, that's the vision, right? And we are leaning into that and you make the path by walking. And what I'm telling you is, and I mean this sincerely, part of the reason that you see me come on week after week, uh, positive and upbeat, even as I see the world burn, is because I know that I am trying to the best of my ability to implement the vision that I have both in my head and my heart. And I wanna say this, Jack, what I'm talking about is a both spiritual and political theory and practice. And it goes like this, assess the situation to the best of your ability, right? Then try to make a plan to do whatever you have agency over to do that to the best of your ability and then here's the key. This is the hardest part. This is the political and the and the spiritual coming together. Release the result. Like I, my worldview, the 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 goddess does not demand of me to win or succeed. My task is to be the best version of myself that I can be. And I know that if I if I really am honest with myself and I'm, I'm doing good and meaningful, productive work, I'm doing it with an open heart and, and a good mind if I'm being kind and compassionate to people, including being kind and compassionate to myself. If I'm doing all of those things, then I can release the result because I don't have the power to prevent Donald Trump or Joe Biden from being president, right? What I can do is be the best version of David Cobb.
0: Yeah, I love that, David. Thank you for sharing all that stuff with us. Um, you know, I, I I I know that that's really a, a big part of what's kept me back and a lot of what I've done. You know, being attached to the outcome. You know, worried about how things are going to turn out. You know, wanting to make sure that things are going to happen the way that I want them to happen. Uh, one of the things that, that kind of did light up for me as you were talking about that stuff though is, um, you know, you you did mention a, a number of different things like, you know, that sounded sounded really good. Um, I know that, for example, there are some people who are really putting this stuff into practice, like, you know, Cooperation Vermont and Michelle and uh, Kali and his cohort it and Cooperation Jackson. Um, these things are actually happening, um, and I think that's great. And they're being put into practice. I think that, you know, what what I would like to kind of see is kind of like a, you know, maybe a, a cookbook or a how to Um, you know, uh, the next step for dummies, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I'm just saying like, you know, there are some folks who are listening or watching who, you know, maybe experienced activists who are just kind of looking for inspiration from you or some ideas of, about how to approach what those next steps might look like. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, they, they, you know, there are other people who, you know, have good hearts. And who are loving and caring and compassionate? They know that there's something wrong, and they want to see it. They they know that there needs to be a change. They may not necessarily know what steps to take or how to how to make that how to make that next step. What it looks like or practical steps that can be applied in the real world, right? And so, and this is one of the this is one of the concerns I have when we talk like this right when when people who have a vision for the future and who have a uh you know perspective a take on things that are that is non-traditional uh or non-standard not conservative uh when when people like that talk i feel like there's a potential to leave behind other folks people who are good people and want to see see some change right and so so I, i think what i'm what i'm getting at here is that like you know is that you know, I, I know for I know that you've done. Um, I'm sorry, I know that you're putting together a C4 right build and fight. Do you want to? Do you want to talk about that? How that is is kind of part of this vision that you have.
1: Sure. Well, and thanks for that, Jack. Look, and I appreciate the, the 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 you know the spirit behind the the question, right? So what I know is this: I can't be responsible for everybody, right? I only have agency over myself, right? And this is the, uh, honestly, I, I sort of make a joke about it, right? But the the benefit uh, of being an alcoholic with 30 years of sobriety, right? The uh, You know, I, I try to live the serenity prayer. Some of you will know, you know, please grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference, right? So like part of it is really uh, uh, integrating that into my political work. And that means when I say political, I don't mean exclusively electoral, but I don't mean not electoral either. In other words, when I talk to social change agents, Jack, and I mean social change agents, people who want to see a transformation, they typically fall into one of two categories. One, they're like, oh, well, elections, then we got to focus on elections because that's where you elect people. That's where the the codify the the change. That's where the real power lies. And yeah, I understand this movement stuff, but really elections are like where you got to focus because that's where the, the decisions gets made. That's how the society reproduces itself. That's how it legitimizes itself. That's where power is. Or people will take the other side and say elections are for chumps. If elections could change anything, they'd make it illegal. Like the only thing that's ever changed is whenever there has been uh uh, you know mass movements of people so you have to organize mass movements movement is where it's at elections are for dummies and Mm -hmm. what i say is and listen watch this bit of trickery jack they're both right which means of course they're both wrong that binary approach is fundamentally flawed it's not either or it has to be both and that's what build and fight a 501c4 Uh, understands it is being created to do, to engage electoral politics authentically as social change agents that say, we need to restructure everything, but not to become electoral fetishists, not to chase after politicians, not to chase after lobbyists, not to just try to make a bunch of money and run voter ID and GOTV. The magic of the Bernie Sanders campaign was not uh, in, the 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 campaign sloganeering uh, of the leaders of the Bernie Sanders campaign. Hell, it wasn't even in Bernie Sanders himself. The real magic of the Bernie Sanders campaign was that ordinary people started to coming together, almost like a mutual aid network, self organize and get shit done. It like I had never seen electoral politics uh, that, that happen. Yes, Bernie Sanders was the catalyst for it. But the magic happened because people were trying to engage electoral politics on their own terms, speaking for themselves to other people. So voting matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. And that's what I really want to underscore. So b- build and fight is an effort to say we're going to cherry pick candidates. We're not raising money for them. We're saying if you will make a pledge not to seek or accept corporate money, If you will make a pledge to democratizing the economy, democratizing elections, democratizing the law, if you'll actually be responsible to this, then we want to start to lift you up. And then we again, it's transpartisan, Jack, doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat, a green, a socialist, an independent like hell if we can find a republican that wants to actually join uh with us we would welcome them but the point is to build movement infrastructure on our own terms that's not actually that's actually self-governed from the bottom up that's what so, build and fight w- attempts to do
0: okay so when you say build build infrastructure can you can you expand on that what does that mean Perfect. build infrastructure
1: it means to to run candidate Uh, trainings where we help people to understand what is a public bank and why it's important and how to talk to ordinary people about it, to explain to candidates what is participatory budgeting, what is a community land trust, what is proportional representation, what is sortition, and would you be willing to champion that? Like, again, democratizing the economy, democratizing elections, democratizing the law. And I see that Jacqueline, who is a frequent commenter and guest, writes in that something similar happened in the UK with Jeremy uh, Corbin, and I think a lot of people in the UK and the US have turned socialist or left-wing because of those movements. And that's correct, Jacqueline. And what I wanna say is, if folks don't yet know this amazing book called People Get Ready, so much of what I'm describing is profoundly influenced by corbin and the folks around him who said look we're going to engage electoral politics but we're also going to do mass movement educating of the working class on their own terms in pubs and uh, on door knocking campaigns people get ready was a was a book that actually said okay The Corbyn campaign has a set of policies that would democratize in the economy, but it can't work alone in elections. They knew that it would take a mass movement of ordinary working class people to be part of that. So to me, people get ready is the inspiration, and that's a Corbyn-inspired process. Just like, again, the Sanders campaign inspired me. But you know what else, Jack? I'm listening. We can also take a clue from what the right wing did, not their policies, but what they did. There's a phenomenal memorandum called the Powell Memo. Lewis Powell, Democrat, who was a big corporate lobbyist, uh, who in the 1970s was approached by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and they said, oh, my God, uh, we're about to lose control of the country. Uh, What can we do? And by the way, do you know why the ruling class were worried that they might lose control of the country in the 1970s? You know why they thought that, Jack?
0: Well, I know that the hippies were everywhere, but was there something more specific?
1: Because they were about to lose control of the country because there was a, a a movement that was both political and cultural. Yes, the hippies were everywhere, but there was a vibrant anti-war movement that was in the streets. Uh, there was a women's movement that was there was a racial justice movement. So they were mass movements that were challenging the system. And the hippies did have a vision and others had a vision of what this world could look like.
0: So well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to push back a little bit on you here, yeah. David. Um, you know the Powell memo is really intense, and I do hope that folks who are unfamiliar with it will check it out. Uh, just look up the Powell memo after this show. Um, but you know, I'm I'm aware of the Powell memo. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, I was a part of Bernie's 2016 and 2020 campaigns at the grassroots level, um, so I very much resonate with what you're talking about. However, there's one thing that kind of like sticks in my craw about that, which is in the case of the Bernie movement and those those two examples that you gave. You talked about Jeremy Corbyn. You talked about Bernie Sanders. There is a avatar. There is a uh, a person that people can hang their vision and their hopes and their dreams on. Right. That kind of like brings them into this this movement that you're talking about. Right. I mean, it was really, um, you know, I yes, there's a lot of people who are excited about uh, Medicare for all. There are people who are excited about a lot of the different policies, like, you know, canceling student debt and, and all the other ones that Bernie was kind of like, you know, the a symbol of those things, right? But it was really his campaign that, like, led to a whole bunch of these people coming together, joining together, working together in ways that they would not have done otherwise, and that they, you know, you know, haven't really done, done since, and, you know, and I think, in addition to that you know you also are bringing up the Powell memo which was a response to the cultural change the political change that was occurring during the during the 60s now the thing about both of those examples right on the one hand you have the need for a leader right some kind of like some kind of a leader some kind of like a somebody who is at the the tip of the spear for people to rally around that we don't have and on the other hand you have this kind of like a you know a a, an amorphous and leaderless kind of like miasma of just random like events coming together and and uh, at at a certain particular time in history the reason that i'm 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 pointing this is because my experience with the left is that people are very resistant to rallying around a particular set or a list of like, these are our demands, this is what we're going to do. Okay, everybody, we're all going to get together and we're going to do this because these are our ideals and this is a vision of the future. I don't see people coming together and doing that. I think people are much more interested in arguing with each other about, you know, purity or theory than they are and actually like organizing and moving forward based around ideals. On the other hand, you have the issue of leadership, right? And, and actually being able to recruit somebody who is an ideal candidate for that kind of that that leadership role that is required to have a, a wide variety and different types of people coming together to be able to, you know, fight for and work towards an agenda, or a mission that they might not agree on everything. But there is enough in it that they can agree on and they can rally around a particular uh, charismatic leader, right? So so I, I, you know, so it's, it's not that I don't love and appreciate all the stuff that you're talking about. I think it's great. I'm just saying that the it's, it's the actual, it's the actual work. It's the actual like the zipper, (laughs) bringing that stuff together, that I think that I have I have a hard time with, and I and I want to know what your response to that is. How can how can um, build and fight be different? How can how can like cooperation Jackson and cooperation Vermont be be something else besides like just an an isolated and you know alien like alien force that is like you know just kind of like caught like just floating down the river a leaf uh, in the river of of like corporate uh, devastation. Uh, do you, is, is that, is there any cohesion or coherence to my, my rant? Do you get what I'm saying? Or do you have a response or you just want to blow I, me off?
1: No, I, I have a response, but I mean, <laughs> what I would say, Jack is honestly, like, uh, if you're finding that when you try to organize with people that all they want to do is argue and fight with, with people then, and I say this kindly, I strongly recommend you start organizing with a different group of people right because I'm not I don't work with folks who are dogmatic or sectarians it's not that I refuse to work with them but I go where the energy is I'm a uh, and I go where there's positive energy because that's how I know to build uh, uh because and you're right there are many people uh especially that, c- Purport to be leftists that seem like they're more interested in scoring intellectual points uh, and dogmatic arguments about the finer parts of uh, points of Marx versus Bukunin versus, you know, uh, some other thinker. Like, I don't study theory uh, in order to be a good movement trivial pursuit player. I study theory because I'm trying to understand what worked in history uh, and what didn't work in history. And what is currently happening now and how we can apply it, right? So what I'm getting at, Jack, is that, that like when you look at Cooperation Vermont or Cooperation Jackson or Insight Focus or the California Open Lands or the North Coast Progressive Alliance or, or any or community movement builders, any of these folks that I can point to, they are self-organizing with people who want to organize together and who enter into that space with a level of principle to be sure. And there is a lot of struggle involved there, but there's also a lot of laughter involved there because there is a commitment culturally that we don't know what we don't know and we're trying to figure it out together. And I don't know how to force people to be like that, but I can tell you this, if anybody is a constant asshole uh, at meetings, I tend to not go to meetings with them
0: yeah i mean you know i i'm just speaking i'm just speaking from my personal experience you know this was like mm-hmm. what i saw during occupy wall street this is what i saw like you know this just observing from like just looking at for example what dsa has been like in the past four or five years you know like you know it's just uh, uh, and i think i and i think you know i appreciate what you're saying as far as like you know if, if you're not if these people want to fight and they don't want to do the work then you know find somebody else to to organize with and you know i mean uh, you know and i can you know i can say that that you know my experience with uh with birdie sanderson 2020 when i started my own organization and brought to get brought people together it was wonderful it was amazing you know and and you know it was because i found the right people mm-hmm. who you know i i expressed a clear vision of how i wanted to move forward and the people who were involved were on board with that you know and it was great um you know i think i think Yeah, I I, I mean, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, like, you know, it it always concerns me that when we start talking about things, it it gets too abstract and and it worries me. Um, But I let me be
1: very concrete. Then what I say is rather than look for candidates during elections, we should be running citizen initiatives and uh, like Stop Cop City. The reality is that the elected officials in atlanta georgia sold out the movement right they campaigned against police brutality but then funded the police right Right. Uh, and in fact etc so what did they do they literally drafted a proposed ordinance to defund cop city and they 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 did the work to put it on the ballot and now they're fighting it out in court because the ruling class democrats by the way are freaked out because ordinary people are taking democracy seriously and putting it into practice what i'm saying is win or lose in atlanta georgia a group of people have been inspired and come into their own sense of power to use the ballot initiative in a different way i know the power of that as a young student at the University of Houston, uh, running the anti-apartheid campaigns. And I challenge folks now to think about what if we started to run a series of local initiatives against the horrific genocide in uh, in Gaza right now, right? Like using the citizens initiative process, like so, because, the thing is if a group of us come together and and draft proposed legislation using local initiatives and put it on the ballot we can't that that initiative can't quote sell us out right they can't they can't the predatory class can't change that and jack here's an example uh, you know uh, a lot of people outside of California don't know it but the state of California's uh California Coastal Commission is probably the most powerful uh progressive environmental legislation that has ever been passed to protect the california coastline and you know what's really interesting is that came as a result of a horrific oil spill in santa barbara it it destroyed pristine beach, right? And for three or four years, the California legislature was, was trying to come up with a law to protect California beaches and uh, et cetera. Activists actually finally and got disgusted with them because it was always this wil- milk toast, weak sauce. And they drafted this amazing bit of legislation that would literally create the California Coastal Commission activists wrote it as a law and then used because California has a statewide ballot initiative process, put it on the ballot, circumvented the entire California legislature. It um, got it on the ballot and it, and it passed and won. So I'm just saying there are examples of being able to use electoral politics to do some of this uh, in a way that is different. Right? Again, none of these things are guaranteed. And if you or any viewer or listener of Redneck Gone Green has suggestions on how to improve things, I want to hear them. And if you have criticisms or, or or you know thought partnership, like steel sharpens steel, I don't I don't shy away from debate if it's debate that's helping us be better, right? What I am saying is that the way to avoid what you were describing about the sellout or the infighting like those are related but different things a way to avoid sellouts is use ballot initiatives so that we can speak for ourselves collectively and not frankly not uh, and and then secondly create a well, culture
0: well of, let me this- let me just let, let me briefly interrupt there uh, so yes the ballot initiatives it's a great idea and i love that you're sharing that Success story with us, I think, is is awesome, right? But then, at the same time, let's also remember uh, rational ignorance that uh, Terry Beresius brought up last week. Um, you know, second time I've uh, uh, talked about him because it was such a great interview. Uh, again, definitely want to recommend people check that out last week's uh, interview. But uh, you know that that in fact there is a uh, an, almost an incentive for the public to remain ignorant. Uh, when these ballot initiatives come up and, and, and basically, you know, allow themselves to be manipulated by the corporations that will end up kind of like using their massive resources to be able to sway a vote one way or the other. Right. Um, And, and the reason I'll give, you know, spoiler alert, you know, it's, it's because, you know, when you're dealing with such a large number of votes, it's very hard to feel like your individual vote is going to make a difference. It's going to make the difference when it comes down to it. Right. And so that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make a rational sense for you to, um, actually want to pursue learning enough about a particular initiative to understand what it's really about apart from like whatever kind of like advertisements and propaganda might be surrounding it. Right. Um, uh, so it's, I don't want to, I'm not trying to rain on your parade. I, I, I agree. I agree. I love it. I love the idea. And I think that what I hear about what you're saying is that really what's going on here is that if you want to do something like that, that to have that goal to be able to say like, okay, yeah, we want to circumvent the legislature, but to do that, we need to organize, we need to build, we need to build like, you know, we need to build a movement around getting the information out to people. It's not enough just to put a ballot initiative onto, uh, you know, on to for to be voted on. Right, there has to be a movement surrounding that that effort right, that gets the word out to people outside of like the normal, like the the normal processes, the the normal system that's set up. I mean, so it's, it is kind of going back to this idea of it being holistic, Mm -hmm. where it's not just, it's not just voting. You can't just count on a vote. You have to be able to, willing to understand that it all works together, that you need to be able to build towards the outcome that you want to see in that, for example, initiative. I was wondering, like, maybe is there? Can you can you speak to like some of what you've seen working? Like, for example, I know that there's the Progressive Alliance. What is it? The,
1: the to- North Progressive Alliance is a good example. That's that's a local uh, example of a truly transpartisan effort, right? At the North Coast Progressive Alliance, uh, we successfully bring Greens, Democrats, Socialists, and Independents together to work on local elections. Uh, and we say, look, we're not going to fuss or fight about the presidential election. We're not even going to get involved in partisan elections here in California at the gubernatorial level, uh, U.S. Senate or our Congress. Not We're not even going to get involved in state legislative races, right? Because those are partisan. We can talk about that in other places, but at North Coast Progressive Alliance meeting, we've literally said, I'm a green, but literally the chair of the local Democratic Party is also a member of the North Coast Progressive Alliance. So we're literally in different parties, right? And leaders in different parties. But we work together because we've said in local elections, we are gonna to work together as long as we find candidates who are willing to make a pledge that they won't seek or accept corporate money and will agree to a basic but core set of principles on racial justice, environmental protection, uh, and workers' rights. It's a way to come together at the local level and build a trans, not nonpartisan, but a transpartisan approach. And I see Kelly, Uh, says redneck on Greentown Halls, Kelly, you're onto something because what this North Coast Progressive Alliance does is to host candidate uh, forums, right? Where we say, uh, like we did one where uh, a city, in a city council race, and we organized, we had the uh, local housing uh, and homeless activist, group. We had the Central Labor Council or Organized Labor. We had the North Coast Environmental Center. We had Move to Amend, the Campaign Against Corporate Constitutional Rights and and Money in Politics. Uh, We had uh, Centro del Pueblo, an immigrant rights group. We had the NAACP, uh, a a Black Empowerment Group, all come together and organized a, a town hall forum where we said this is specifically for candidates. We want you to come and answer our questions, right? And so, again, it wasn't just Democrats or just Greens or just Socialists or just Independents. It, were, it was people who had organized constituencies and the candidates knew, well, I may not come, but if you don't, we're gonna put an empty chair on the stage and say, this candidate refused to come. And I'll tell you, uh, Jack and Kelly, those town halls were incredibly powerful, and I look forward to doing it again. Uh, we were really on the, on the move pre-COVID, uh, and that did, I'll admit, kind of slowed us down, but we're reconvening and reconstituting ourselves. What I'm saying is there's a way to do elections at the local level that are powerful, authentic, and transpartisan
0: and yeah so kelly says so smart Ah, well. <laughs> <laughs> nice thank you, kelly. love you kelly um <clears throat> so yeah um yeah I, you know one of the i mean i think it's great david thank you thank you so much what uh, what what else should we be talking about
1: well listen i think that what we have to talk about is like like look jack and i are are having a conversation and you're watching you the viewer or the listener uh for the podcast uh, and note that jack has not tried to denigrate me but he's pushed me right and it's sort of like yeah but what about this david right and you didn't see me i hope jack you didn't experience me and you the viewer listener did not experience me shutting down and uh, telling you to go away part of what i think we should be talking about is how we talk about this stuff, right? To really embrace that principled struggle is actually a good thing, that we need to struggle for clarity. Uh, in the words of the great African revolutionary, amical Cabral, mask no difficulties, tell no lies, claim no easy victories. For goodness sakes, Jack, if it were easy to do this, we would have already fucking done it, right? Pardon my language, but the reality is this is really hard to go up against the predatory class uh, and try to recreate society when we know this system is failing, which is why even as we do this work, We've literally got to have fun doing it. We've got to love each other. We've got to be kind to each other, including to ourselves. We've got to be compassionate with one another. We've got to expect differences and we've got to expect mistakes and failures so that we fail forward. We should say, oh, we made this mistake, not, oh, it failed. It is, we made this mistake. What can we learn from it? What can I learn from it? And you know where I'm from, Jack, to get in touch with my redneck roots? We got a saying. Even a dog knows the difference between a trip and a kick, right? So in other words, if you in unintentionally hurt my feelings, that's one thing. And I can let you know, ouch, that hurts and, and have confidence that, that, that you might try to do better at, by me and, and not hurt my feelings going forward. But if you intentionally hurt my feelings, if you're just a mean-spirited bigot, or if you're arguing with me, not because you're trying to push me to think more sharply and clearly and and be better, but you're just trying to tear me down, I got four magic words for that person. Are you ready? These four magic words are very powerful and they can be used in a lot of ways. Are you ready for my four magic words? I'm listening. Have a nice day. I'm telling you, Jack, like I am absolutely willing to engage with you in this good struggle uh, like where you say, yeah, but what about this? And David, don't forget that. Like like because you're helping me to think more sharply, more clearly so that I don't make mistakes like you want to see me succeed. Right. You want to see us succeed. You're engaging the conversation, what I would call with constructive criticism right bring it on we need that so we don't fool ourselves we don't fall into irrational exuberance we, like that's an important thing but if you're one of these assholes who's just trying to pull me down and convince me that my vision for the world can't win and et cetera et cetera i have no I have nothing to do with such people, Jack. Have a nice day. Get to stepping, get out of my life. Like, I have so many people who want to work with me. Uh, those are low hanging fruit. Like, that's the people I want to work with.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I just, uh, it's very important to have patience. I think, uh, you know, I think you have to have patience. I think you also have to believe in your believe in your own arguments. I think you have to believe in your own point of view and, um, also have enough faith in that point of view to be able to have it questioned, uh, have it pushed back against, you know, and I think a lot of times, uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't necessarily, uh, you know, people are really attached to their point of view. People are really attached to their partisanship. Um, you know, they kind of identify with it. And so, You know, when somebody offers an alternative, it can feel like an attack. Um, And so I think it's really important to, you know, I, I think that one of the things that, you know, I think allows me to be able to be a good conversationalist is that, you know, I'm willing to accept that, you know, I may be wrong, that there are other ways of looking at things. And so, you know, I think that's a really important way to approach like being in conversation with, Uh, with whoever it is, right, is being able to accept that there are, there are different ways of looking things. And, you know, and the ideas are free, right? That's another thing that's important to keep in mind is that, you know, ideas are just ideas, you know, and and people can say whatever they want. And it's really like, you know, sticks and stones, right? I mean, it's like, you know, names will never hurt me. So it's, it's really what's, there's no real uh, point to, you know, taking things personally. And I think that's really also another really important element of being able to have a conversation with somebody that you disagree with and is, that, uh, you know, understanding that it's not a personal attack on you that the, that the fact that somebody might have a different way of looking at things is not in any way an attack on who you are and how you see the world. And so, you know, those are just like some that that's just some ways that I, I know that I approach uh, being in conversation with people because you know I think that I think that I am good and at, at talking to people and you know accepting different ideas. Um, yeah, so
1: yeah, look, and I think I, I think I,
0: you're I, I think you're hundred percent right.
1: If, well, thank you. That's another way to get on anybody's good side is to uh, is to agree with them. Uh, and I want to point out something that kind of intellectual humility, like Jack, I don't know what I i I don't know what i don't know uh are you seeing me yeah no you're
0: still here i see i hear you i
1: I don't know what i don't know uh only the host can see you the host may add you to the stage at any time i think i hit a button you're going to need to bring me back in that's no
0: you're you're in brother
1: okay it says you're backstage so i must be on the wrong page so all i'm going to say is this jack intellectual humility right the the reality is that I don't know what I don't know and neither do you, nobody does. The other point I wanna make is that this notion of emotions uh, and feelings, like like, remember, like at the end of the day, like an emotional response is raw and unfiltered, right? Anything that somebody says and any feeling that erupts in me, that's valid, But it doesn't mean i have to act on it in any kind of way right like and i think that this is an important thing like what you're describing is what i think of as emotional intelligence right like there is a way in which it's like look you know again at the end of the day i think a good organizer has to be a good therapist including self-therapy right like I'll tell you this, in a very, very real way, uh, Jack, one of the things that I think that I have learned is that, like, no matter what I'm doing, I should not take myself too seriously. Uh, if I can't, like, laugh at myself uh, a- and find a-, a little humor in the absurdity of life oh, itself, it's I, not I really what- need-
0: it's hard i i need to be better at that i definitely need to be better at that for
1: sure well i listen, take myself
0: way too seriously bro i do
1: well bro, let me tell you something as an eagles fan come on like you, <laughs> you got a lesson you got a lesson in it right now right?
0: <laughs> okay all right <laughs> uh did listen I, David, too
1: real did I get too real that was too
0: real man for those <laughs> for those football fans out there yeah I don't know if you can see that Eagle yeah. that Eagle logo
1: I th- I think that that for non-football fans I just made an incredibly witty joke that went over a lot of people's heads <laughs>
0: David but- was very funny David was very <laughs> I funny was very that funny. was, was great so David I oh wait hold on a second uh, there's a uh, I, th- I thought it was a very interesting and important question from Rob here where he says, uh, what are the best ways to build sustainable grassroots or- grassroots organizations and David I know that you have a pretty, pretty decent uh, experience with this. So what do, what do you have to say to Rob?
1: Well, first of all, Rob, thank you so much for listening uh, and watching Redneck Gone Green. Uh, I actually know Rob personally and, and uh, I think of him as a friend and a comrade, so I'm honored uh, to see him asking that question. And the short answer, uh, Rob, is that the way uh, you do it is to understand that we have to build a culture of respect and empowerment, because remember, Culture is not just starting every meeting with a poem or music, although that's fun and I encourage us to do it. But culture is everything that we do and how we do it. So the best way to build sustainable grassroots organization is to build in a culture of appreciation, uh, of of respect, and of acknowledging. like. You know and i think jack has made this point earlier like i think that the left has gotten too good at critique uh and and doesn't spend enough time cheerleading one another right so like saying way to go and thank you and that was great like and not in a bullshit way right like uh you know my mama uh i'm sure my mama's not the only one who used to say you know uh if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. Well, you'll notice I do try to lift people up whenever I can, right? Uh, and the other thing about me, I never, I'm quick with a compliment, but I never give one that I don't believe is sincere, but I give them away like candy. You know why? Because they're free and they make people feel good. And we ought to be making ourselves and each other feel good. So we ought to be appreciating one another, like build that culture into it. And what I've found is when you build grassroots organizations where people feel good at the end of it, they wanna come back for more. And here's another thing, Rob, potlucks bring food into meetings and people will ask. Amen,
0: brother amen yeah you know no I, i i love that you're saying that and that's you know that's definitely been my experience as well you know it's like one you know the wonderful thing about you know philly for bernie um you know was just finding people identifying them and letting them know that like i thought they were i thought they were cool i'm like you know like You know, I I I like what you're saying. I like how you're you know writing these posts on social media. Would you be interested in joining? You know, like, you know, I I want you to take a leadership position. You know, like just like encouraging people. It's like it's why when I say hello to you most of the time I'm like hi handsome, right? I mean, it's like hey, you just throw it in there a little. Everywhere you can throw it in, you throw it in, right? I mean like one of the things i I'm, I'm interested in it to hear like uh from our audience too uh you know it's like one of the things i've noticed is that for a long time in my life i would think right that being friendship allowed you to kind of be a little mean right you know like hey what's up jerk off you know like that was like, there was a part of me that thought, oh, you know, ribbon, ribbon somebody, you know, like, you know, give them an elbow in the ribs, right? That was kind of like a way to kind of ingratiate yourself to your friends or something like that. And I, at a certain point, I was like, I, I just, I, I, it might sound trivial. It might sound like a a, a, a nominal thing, but, you know, just like being able to offer those little appreciations to people. You know like when that came up for me i started to recognize it and i was like i'm gonna instead of saying something kind of like mean as a joke i'm gonna fucking, i'm gonna just gonna say something nice i'm gonna say something fun i'm gonna say like you know what i mean and and it's and it's nice it feels good
1: it changed the quality of your relationships right yeah because here's what like what you're describing neuroscience is actually confirming that acts actually good for you because here's the thing when and again this is true for 99 of human beings if you observe another person in acute distress and you do something to alleviate that distress obviously you help that person you've gotten them out of distress but you know what happens for 99 of the human brains you get a, a serotonin shot like you get, you get a, a, a chemical dump of feeling good about yourself. Here's the problem, Jack. Uh, for about 1%, it doesn't work. They're called mm. sociopaths, right? And the problem is that those people can lie and manipulate and that they have done so very successfully. I'm reminded of what my brother, uh, who raised two daughters as a single father, used to say. Hey, this thing, X, Y, or Z, that may not be your fault. But it is your problem, right? <laughs> and and those sociopaths that are like, here's the problem: if we had a uh, a a genuinely democratic society, we would look at these sociopaths and say, "Oh man, like they really have a problem. They need they're mentally ill. They need help." And if we had a decent healthcare system, <laughs> single payer healthcare, we would no, actually David. get
0: them. No, David, we elect them. We elect them, is we we put elect them, in them to charge. office, bro. We left Yeah, elect we them put them the
1: in office. charge. Like that's yeah. and that's our fault, right? Well,
0: I mean, it's it's not our well, fault. It's our responsibility.
1: It's our problem. You're right. It's not it's our fault, right. but it is our problem. And I, look, I I see what time it is. We're coming at the end of the hour, Jack. Um, before b-
0: before before we go though. I before we go any further, I I do want to kind of like ask you one more thing that's related to what Rob brought up. Um and it comes from a, a place of personal humility, right? Which is that, like, I failed in Philadelphia, right? What happened was I brought together a group of people. I love those people. I still love them. They were wonderful people, really strong. And it, it, I felt like I built a good organization. And then Bernie let us down, right? He, like, you know, I can remember the very moment I was watching the debate between him and Biden. It was after COVID had hit. It was like, you know, here you had. Bernie Sanders, the champion of Medicare for all, single payer healthcare, versus the guy who like wants to see a die on the street, right? He was like, lock him up, right? And and he was so deferential, and he just basically was like, you know, sure, my good buddy Biden, blah 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 blah. And I was I was screaming at the top of my lungs at that television. I got to tell you, right? And you know, I was so crushed uh, you know, the, the, because of COVID, it was basically like, they closed down the campaign super Tuesday happened. It was over. And, you know, at that point I, I was so disappointed and so crushed that I just basically washed my hand of politics. Right. I was done. And I haven't really done any organized organizing since if I'm being honest. Right. And, you know, I, I want you to be like the, the activist therapist here. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like, what what is what can be done right mm-hmm. for what can be done what what sh- so- what could i have done differently what 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 was what is the approach that that somebody like me needed to bring to that to that party like what- uh,
1: well, you 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 changed the question on me because what i would say is this like look learn from the experience right and what i would argue is the problem was that The Sanders campaign was the Sanders campaign and you had no agency. You and that incredible group of people that you brought together. When Bernie sold you out, everybody was deflated. And Jack, I love you. You know, I do. And you'll remember at like during that time, I told you then and I'll tell you now Bernie Sanders did not disappoint me because he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. Uh, And which is why I can be inspired by the great messaging of Bernie Sanders. But at the end of the day, he was sheepdogging for the Democratic Party. And I wish I had been proven wrong, but I was not wrong. What I would say is the way to learn from that mistake is, okay, Let's not be so candidate dependent as we do our organizing next time. Let's think about, can we do a ballot initiative? Can we do a mutual aid program? Can we do something together where we're trusting each other and building relationships together where, some, where whoever the leader is, especially a national one, can't under undermine us? I'll tell you, Jack, The same experience happened to me back in 84 and 88, working on the Jesse Jackson campaigns, right? And, you know, I still remember to this day how inspired and enthusiastic Jesse Jackson in 84 and 88 was, right?
0: The Rainbow Coalition. we we
1: had an amazing campaign and we had more volunteers, we had better ideas, but I learned, and I learned a lot from the Jesse Jackson campaigns in 84 and 88. I learned as a white person how to honestly put myself under the leadership of people of color, probably for the first time ever that I had had that experience. I learned about how to bring together environmentalists and organize labor together and find common ground. I learned how to watch women articulate uh, for what they need and have men listen to them and and come together. I mean, it was, I learned about Palestine for the first time in my life, by the way, I learned so much from the the Jackson campaign. And you know what else I learned, Jack? The Democratic Party presidential primary is where progressive politics goes to die because all the enthusiasm, all the excitement, all the energy that gets built up within the Democratic primary, at the end of the day, the corporatists and the militarists and the imperialists who control that party crush you and then say now sit down and shut up and just vote for us because you got nowhere to go that's the reason that i say we build movements and organizations that are independent and autonomous and i don't shit on democrats but what i say is the leadership of the democratic party are not our friends the leadership of the democratic party are neoliberals and imperialists and genocide joe is not going to lead us ever to peace
0: no sir amen um i would be remiss and kelly will be mad at me if i don't ask you to just share your uh your debate experience one more time it's like it's like a bedtime story you know what i mean david it's just like a, it's like can you just tell me that story one oh more time? children
1: gather around and let me tell you of my experience in 2004 when i was the green party nominee for president of the united states and i was on enough ballots where using the electoral college i could have been elected president oh but wait there's another character in this story his name is michael Badnarik. michael Badnarik was the libertarian party candidate for president of the united states he too was on enough ballots where he could have won the electoral college and get and and become president and of course the way that uh, a lesser known candidate who's on the ballot for president can get their message out is they can appear on the presidential debates so that year the st louis missouri uh there was a presidential debate being hosted by the commission on presidential debates the commission on presidential debates that sounds very official does it not well the commission on presidential debates has ever since 1980 controlled the debates why because the League of Women Voters used to organize the presidential debates. And in 1980, they had the temerity to bring Ross Perot on the debate stage, an independent for office, uh, an independent running for president. And the Democratic and the Republican National Committee got together and said, never again. They created the Commission on Presidential Debates. Uh, It is literally Representatives of the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee who get together and stage infomercials. Yeah, they argue amongst themselves, but they make sure they never talk about empire. They make sure they never talk about capitalism. They make sure that there's never any real debate happening about principles and values. So Michael Badneric and I, back in nineteen or two thousand and four, decided we would take a, a, a legal process called a a motion to show cause and our motion to show cause was we are on the devout on the on the ballot in enough states to be elected president we are taking a show cause order to the commission on presidential debates to show cause for why you have excluded us and We tried to cross the police line in order to deliver that show cause. And both Michael Badneric, Libertarian candidate, David Cobb, Green Party candidate, were arrested together, taken to jail, and served overnight in the St. Louis uh, pokey because we were had the temerity to imagine that we should be allowed to participate and I'll end with this jack and thank you uh kelly for for nudging jack to ask this question because i argue that it was not my right to speak that was actually at stake what was at stake then and is at stake now is the american people's right to hear alternative voices our right to imagine what different kind of candidates might say to us that could either inspire, delight, or otherwise make us feel a certain kind of way. But if all we ever hear is the corporate pablum of the Democratic and Republican parties, no wonder half of Americans don't even bother to vote.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, David. And thank you so much for joining us today on Redneck on Green. We're really glad to have had you. I'm really glad you could make it to the show. Uh, So as we always do before we wrap up, David, is there something that you'd like to leave us with tonight?
1: I would. Number one, I've got two things. One, thank you, Jack, for a fantastic interview. Right. Uh, And I want to encourage listeners or viewers, please like, subscribe, and share. Remember, uh, our audience is growing, y'all. We've got now over 4,200 subscribers on Substack. Uh, So please pass that along to other people. Uh, The audience really is growing. The second thing that I wanna do is to invite you to join me and Jack next week, January 23rd, because I'll be bringing John Parker of the Peace and Freedom Party Uh, coming to talk about California, how Greens and Peace and Freedom Socialists are working together to create something called the Left Unity Slate. Remember, we can build a movement together, but we've got to do it together. Peace.